2016, college me, I didn't really have a concept of, of team. You know, I, I knew I could code it fast and I knew how I wanted it. So I just did it. And then it very quickly realized you know, that that doesn't work. Instead of doing internships like the normal computer science student, uh, we would sit in parking lots and offer moving services to all these stores. At the end of the day, right, it's, it's how can we deliver, uh, pun intended, <laughs> the best moving experience possible, right? Because today the, the moving experience, like traditional moving kind of sucks. It's not great. There's so much confusion. There's so much little last minute planning. There's very little transparency to what's going on. My name is Cameron Moreau and I'm the CTO of Gazova. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today how Cameron Moreau decided to build a way for you to move anything simply. All this and more on Code Story. Cameron Moreau grew up in DFW, more on the Dallas side of Texas. Early on in his life, he thought he was going to have a career in music because he loved it. Eventually, though, he discovered programming and went to school at the University of Texas at Arlington, studying computer science. He spends a lot of time with his dog, Twix, bike riding, rock climbing, and staying outdoors when he can. Note, he didn't get into rock climbing until he moved to San Francisco because it's not really a thing in the flatlands of Texas. Post-school, he spent some time in the Bay Area working for technology startups. He lived the Silicon Valley dream, coding at Pivotal and Open Door, pair programming with amazing developers and people. When he was a sophomore in college, he ran a group at UTA and organized hackathons. He started to kick around an idea to give people access to a truck when they need it, to enable them to move and deliver large items. This is the creation story of Gozova. Zova today sets out really to redefine and simplify the moving process. Just kind of like our tagline, the goal really is to help anyone move anything simply. That's what we, we try and strive for. So we offer a couple of services. You know, we do the small moves such as like a, a store delivery or charity donation, or you just need to move stuff from point A to point B. But we also do uh, these larger moves that are just like an apartment or an office or a three bedroom home. The great part is, you know, you can book same day, you can book a week from now, three months from now. The schedule's pretty much uh, whatever works best for you. So around 2016, this time, I think I was a sophomore in college, went to UTA, and I met this guy named Goran. He had this interesting idea, basically, how can we connect people who couldn't fit items into their car to someone with a pickup truck? At the time, the, the tagline was kind of a truck when you need it, right? It wasn't this full-fledged moving service. Kind of think along the lines of like Uber for, for getting large items home. He was very adamant on calling the company Gazova. Um, so he's from a different country, but he has two other siblings. His name is Goran, his brother is Zoran, and his sister is Vanya. And so together, the acronym is Gazova. At the time, I was a computer science student, and I actually ran this organization called Mobi. The idea, it was a student-run project to go to hackathons, to be honest, at the time, I was kind of wondering like, okay, I've done all these projects, but I kind of want to work on something that could potentially be a business. So like meeting is a, meeting Goran at the time was kind of a, a great fit. So we started off, you know, kind of scrappy, two college kids. He was more on the finance side, I was more on the tech side. 
Uh, we spent a lot of time at the Mobi office as well as, so UTA has this really cool building called the Startup Lounge and it's essentially to incentivize entrepreneurship. So we spent a lot of time there coming up with the first concepts, what would be the MVP. As the launch kind of progressed, I, I dragged in a few of my computer science friends that, to help me build certain parts, but at the time, you know, just a truck when you need it. We targeted UTA students, TCU students, just folks that were kind of there with us, as well as, you know, that summer, it was interesting because we started partnering with a, a few stores. And so we, instead of doing internships like the normal computer science student, uh, we would sit in parking lots and offer moving services to all these stores. People did it and it was awesome. One summer specifically, we're head to head with a huge competitor at the time. It was really exciting just to see like, hey, our proof of concepts kind of kind of working. It was funny because back then as well, you know, because we were so small, myself and other parts of the tech team would do deliveries also. So imagine two computer science kids delivering your sofa. <laughs> well, tell me about the MVP. Tell me about how long it took to build and what sort of tools you use to bring it to life. So the MVP was pretty trivial. Um, so the idea is we wanted a mobile app. So we launched iOS and it had a customer facing side and a back end side. You know, so the consumer side were basically the users who could tell us about the items and request the truck. And then the other side of that, you know, drivers could accept jobs, fulfill orders, uh, take in requests, all of that fun stuff, pretty much modeled off of, of Uber. So this was, the backend was in Node.js. We were using this awesome framework called Happy. I still use it today. Uh, the mobile app was written native iOS, written in Swift. We used Stripe to accept all the payments and to pay out the drivers. And we had a system of our own to kind of onboard those drivers and we deployed with Heroku. At the time, the experience was pretty minimal. Like our timely trade-off here was we wanted to focus on letting the customers place the order as opposed to the, the entire experience. And while that's, that's not really what we have today, but as soon as you place the order, there is experience tapered off. So there's no tracking, no step-by-step -step email telling what to explain, you know, all the stuff that we have today, but it was just kind of simple. It took about like three months for us, mostly coding it all up in the middle of class, working on weekends. And while we launched that way, uh, very soon after, we kind of realized we were shooting ourselves in the foot a little bit because we were cutting out customers, specifically like Android customers, customers on the web. And we realized we're going to continue working on this thing, adding more and more features. There's no way we can, with such a small team, handle two different platforms. That would just be a complete mess. Um, so we moved to React Native. Uh, we launched Android as well. We ended up splitting out the, the driver uh, portion of the app into its own thing. Let me dig into that a little bit, Cameron. So on the um, on the MVP, you decided to go iOS. Tell me about how you made that decision and, and what sort of trade-offs you made building that MVP before you went to React Native, before you switched platforms. And we'll get back into that. But tell me about those decisions and trade-offs that you had to make uh, in the short term and how you coped with them trade-off was how much could we actually fit in in a timely matter like obviously we had this this, this wonderful idea and this beautiful flow of, of what we wanted to accomplish but there's, there's just kind of no way that we could do it in such a short amount of time so little people so we honestly chose ios just because that's what we all had on our phones at the time as well as like a, a lot of times when we were talking to folks uh, we kind of came to realize well yeah there's there's this ton of phones folks out there with Android phones, the ones that were more likely to say yes to using our business actually had had iPhone. Um, so we stuck with that decision and, and went into it. 
So we had to shove everything kind of in, into one app that became eventually a little bit, you know, cumbersome. Um, number one is when we needed to make a rapid change to, the, to deploy to, to drivers, for instance, because there was a bug. It was an extensive process with the app store because we're doing things like the background track tracking. And then uh, the, the piece that I mentioned, just more maintainability and, and easier to spread across platforms with React Native. Dig into that a little bit more on the on the conversion to React Native and then beyond. So how did you progress the product? You know, how have you matured the product? And then looking forward now, well, I wouldn't say back a little bit, but now how are you building your roadmap? How are you figuring out what's the next most important thing to build? I'll, I'll kind of touch on the product progress, but also I kind of I have to give some some background on, on you know what necessarily happened. But yeah, the, the the transition to React Native, like I mentioned at this time, we wanted to get more bang for a buck, if you will. So we wanted to write less code and and be on more operating systems. And in that case, we ended up switching to to React Native. And as time kind of progressed, we ended up realizing that there's this balance, right, between complexity and what you can control, for lack of better words, right? So we ended up pushing all the way down our mobile app eventually into to a managed Expo flow. And if you know what Expo is today, it's, it's basically this iOS skeleton and this Android skeleton. And all you literally do is, is write the React code to piece it together. And sure, you, you work with the, the React Native UI, but you don't have to worry about any Objective-C files or any, any Java files, as well as because the skeleton is kind of shipped, uh, this allows us to push continuous updates, honestly, daily. Yesterday, we shipped two times and it both landed to the app and we didn't have to go through the app store because of the over-the-air updates. And we can do the same thing for drivers as well. So, so reducing that complexity helped a lot. Sure, right, every time iOS updated, you had to go learn what changed. And we would spend weeks fixing, like when iOS bumped from 11 to 12 and 12 to 13, just figuring out what happened with all of our libraries and, and fixing all of these files. That transition to make things a little less complex has, has helped out a lot. But but back to your question on like, how, how have we matured and, and how has the product changed? Back in the day, you know, as much as I hate to say it, because it was just a project. I mean, sure, it made money and it was awesome to build something that, that people use. And it was actually really cool to see it built revenue. But it was really just a proof of concept. Uh, we were trying to get the company to stick and grow, but it just we couldn't get to that next level. You know, little did we know we had a, we had a lot of learning and, and, and growing to do. Um, so, so a little bit of background on, on, on that piece there, you know, after, after graduating, I moved, I moved to San Francisco, but, but Gorin actually kept the business going. Uh, so from a tech perspective, it was actually pretty self-sustainable. We had a, a low maintenance app. We had low maintenance dashboards. He had a nice little scrappy dashboard to go and, you know, edit users if needed, dispatch orders, manage drivers, manage the onboarding flow. And every once in a while, you know, I'd, I'd hop on to help with minor issues, but that was, that was pretty much it. Finally, at the beginning of 2020, it, it kind of shifted a little bit. Um, so we ended up uh, meeting someone who eventually became our, our COO. And then we received our first round of funding ever in April. Around that time, it was, it was in June. So I ended up leaving my job in, at Opendoor and moving straight back to Texas. We kind of made this pivot where we expanded on this concept of getting items home to becoming more of a, a marketplace of moving services. And so we did things such as uh, home moving and apartment moving. And, and with this kind of transition, the race was, was on. You know, back in the day, it was it was a little bit of figuring a lot of things out. But now that, you know, we're here two years later, uh, I was able to work with some amazing people in San Francisco. So I was able to bring, you know, to a technical team what I'd learned in those very few years. And it's it's been amazing. 
since then, we've kind of focused on, on the customer. And at the end of the day, right, it's, it's how can we deliver, uh, pun intended, <laughs> the best moving experience possible, right? Because today, the, the moving experience, like traditional moving kind of sucks. It's not great. There's so much confusion. There's so much little last minute planning. And there's very little transparency to what's going on. And so today, you know, what we focus on is, you know, allowing users to schedule to move in advance. And can we ask better questions about what their move looks like? And by doing all that, it kind of lets us become more predictable and give a much more reliable experience. Um, you know, the, the experience, you know, becomes this countdown until the big day, giving you this detailed outline of what's going on and what to expect. You know, you get reminders, you can see where your crew is today, um, you know where your items are. And then at the end, you have a review process that, to tell us how we did. Also, one of the things we realized, you know, enhancing and maturing the product is because moving is so ambiguous and, and no one really knows what's going on, you know, we need humans to talk to and, and people to ask. So we've kind of extended ourselves a little bit to handle this like concierge moving experience, if you will. And so we made this huge improvement to our comms tooling, being able to take, you know, a text message to us and we have a customer support uh, rep respond just as if you messaged us on our, our web chat, like intercom. From this, right, you know, we obviously gave a little bit more love to our crew member experience as well, making it easier to onboard. We extended that, that place of the marketplace that I mentioned, allowing you to view earnings, feedback, you know, see what your schedule's like. And then also we were able to launch this, you know, for business side of Gazova where we can handle these uh, third-party logistics and courier services. We've kind of helped shape this and tailor this moving experience for retail stores or partnered with some apartment locators, real estate companies. You know, so we definitely have a lot to go, but we're, we're definitely getting there in terms of product maturity. So let's switch to team. How did you build your team? And, and tell me what you looked for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you. You know, back in the day, right, it was it was a very small team. It was a bunch of college students. You know, we, we worked for free, basically. But in 2016, college me, I didn't really have a concept of, of team. You know, I, I knew I could code it fast and I knew how I wanted it. So I just did it. And then it very quickly realized you know, that that doesn't work. Um, you, you definitely need a team to, to help you do it. Um, so a lot of the early folks that joined, we were just mostly looking for people who could imagine what we were trying to do and people who could see the potential and were honestly just kind of down for the adventure. We found a lot of great folks even before, you know, we got our first round of funding. You know, while today, you know, we're still trying to figure out like what makes the best team. I, I've kind of narrowed it down to a few things that I look for specifically. So in my mind, right, you know, just, just like the early team members, we need someone who's going to be passionate and we need someone that's going to, while yes, you have a set of specialized skills, like we, we care about the, the ambition and, and what you can necessarily bring to the table as well. Like, sure, right, there's, there's a barrier to entry. You have to know some set of specialization, but at the end of the day, I want to know that this person is self-sufficient and they're willing to learn and honestly willing to teach me things. And so one rule of thumb I kind of always like to keep in my head is at the end of the day, and regardless of, of this person's technical ability, their background, their skill set, if I really can't imagine sitting down with this person on the team every single day or having my team work with them, it probably isn't the, the best the best fit for us, you know, right now. And today that's worked extraordinarily well for us. You know, we've grown to a team of 15. Everyone has their own unique quirks and talents and it's been amazing. Everyone offers their own unique perspective and what they can bring to the table. And, you know, as cliche as it sounds, we're, we're beginning to be like this one big happy family. So let's switch to scalability a little bit. Did you build this to scale efficiently from day one or have you been fighting this as you've grown? 
Yeah, so so day one, we kind of focused a little bit too much on, on the nitty things. Like sure, scalability was, was one thing, but at the end of the day, you know, we were realizing things were becoming way too complex and, and honestly a little hard to work on. Today, you know, while yes, we are fighting that a little bit, and obviously there, there's, there's little pieces that, that we can fix and things that we see ahead of us that we know will, will cause us a, a problem um, in the long run. We, we have it in sights and we know when to come in and fix it. I guess the big one is the ones you don't know about, right? So, uh, uh, so not too much on, on a scalability piece. Our biggest thing right now is it's honestly scaling, scaling humans and being able to provide that, that best experience. You know, I get the scaling humans part. I get the, you know, kind of fighting it in probably both areas. Um, Have you started to introduce anything like microservices or any sort of more advanced uh, architecture in your backend or um, or are you still running pretty well? Still running pretty well. Right now, it's not too much of a problem. So at previous companies, I worked a lot in infrastructure. So I handled the low-level routing that comes into CF network. And I, I worked on deploying Kubernetes clusters from scratch on AWS for a service that was supposed to be secure as a bank. Um, so when it comes to that piece, we try and stay as far away of it as possible. I love Heroku. It's very easy for us to deploy and it's made us a lot faster. But at the end of the day, right, we are eventually going to, to run into those issues. So that being said, today we do actually have a you know a monolithic backend. Uh, one of the conversions we're kind of making, and while it's it's not so much of a, a scale piece, but maybe more of of being able to, to to build faster. But we're making this conversion into TypeScript. We have this this giant shared repository that it's it's almost like a, a monorepo, if you will, that lets us share code between the the app and the uh, even the backend. I definitely see a day where, you know, maybe we do split into this microservice world. Right now, it's a little bit premature for us. I think if anything, what it would mostly do is just allow us to to work on things a little bit more. If you, if you draw, the, draw the boundary as, as more of a feature than anything, I'm sure there's a world we can look into things like service, serverless. There's a world where we, we do split up into microservices. It's just not something that we're really looking at right now. So as you step out on the balcony, and you look across what you've built, what are you most proud of? Yeah, hands down, it is the people. Um, so what's really awesome is, you know, from a customer experience, right? Or sometimes like me and my team, well, everyone, we, we go back and we look at some of these reviews and it's, man, these, this company was so awesome. I was kind of in a hunch, you know, my last company bailed on me and then Gazova came through within 24 hours. You know, I've been having a hard time and these guys, you know, they did everything. I didn't have to lift a finger. And so just being able to be part of something where, where you build this and you can provide this amazing experience and you're just, you're just generally, you're helping people is pretty phenomenal to, to work on. From a driver perspective, or we call them crew members now, right? It, it's We have some amazing stories there as well like we've we've helped uh certain people create their own moving company where you know we just give them leads and they have a marketplace to, to go off of you know some people have sent us pretty sentimental text messages it's like hey you helped me in a rough time i can get back on my feet now you pr- provided me a job for that and that's amazing to be a part of right and then more on the people and, and i mentioned this earlier but the team right like i'm really proud of the culture we're building here like like i mentioned you know we're one big happy family and we're teaching each other things where, you know, we, we have our fights now and then, but at the end of the day, we're doing great. So the people is really what I'm excited about and looking back on, I'm pretty amazed by. 
So let's flip the script a little bit. What was a mistake you made and how did you and your team respond to it? Yeah, uh, so mistakes are inevitable, right? But uh, I'm sure I can tell you about all the times we, we caused a bug. Maybe the, the server went down, especially back in the day. But like thinking about it, especially in our, our transition to, to becoming this this new shape of a, of a moving company, what we realized our, our biggest mistake was kind of our process, especially amongst like an engineering team. At the time, we, we wanted to move really quickly. And to be honest, we were going a little too fast. You know, we weren't really thinking about the impact you would have or even if customers wanted it or what the journey would kind of be like. So sure, that meant breaking things. And sometimes it meant creating something that wasn't so useful. So the way we responded is kind of just taking that step back, right? Like understanding process a little bit more. And so from a from a business and product perspective, right? This means getting validity of, of what you're building, right? And getting that validation and solidifying a plan. From a, from a design perspective, like let's think about human empathy rather than just logic, right? Like, so can we give a, a graceful and elegant experience to the customer? And as an engineer, let's make sure we're doing the right things, right? Like, sure, let's evaluate the short-term and the long-term impact and, you know, all decisions are different, but at the end of the day, like, let's, let's know how it, the system affects others. Are we making the right tests and are we delivering it in the right way? And it's pretty great because this, this process has definitely helped tremendously moving, moving forward and making less mistakes. So what does the future look like for your product and for your team? The future's pretty exciting. We've started a new product for storage and we're only launching the DFW area. But, you know, one of the things we kind of realized is while there are tons of moving companies out there and, and sure one person will you know find a moving company at the end of the day a lot of customers really care about this this full ecosystem so not only can i get things from point a to point b but can i pack and unpack can i get something dropped off the donation in the same order can i store things because i'm, I'm transitioning apartments um, so one big step in that is, is launching the storage service. We have a warehouse in Fort Worth that'll be launching very soon. Uh, we're moving to many more markets. Today, we're in three different states now. In the very near future, we're going to be in two, two more. We're launching in, in Georgia and Tennessee. And a big one for us is, is really getting the brand out there. So, so we do have a lot more trucks with the Gazova brand on it. We have tons of providers and partners that, that wrap their vehicle and that, that's quite amazing. We've realized while, yes, our, our job is, is to build things, you know, our, our job is really just to empower people, right? So let's, let's focus on the experience, not so much as can we handle 10,000 moves a day? Because to be honest, if experience isn't great, we won't need to scale, right? So the, the other future looks like, you know, we are hiring. So hopefully the team looks a little bit bigger as well. So if you could go back to the beginning, you know, we talked about mistakes, right? And things that you worked through, but in a different light, if you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? Going back, um, I will say, I've learned so much over the past couple of years. I, I would never want to go back and, and get rid of that experience. But given that I could go back with everything I've learned, I would definitely keep it way more simple. Do we need to, to launch an iOS and an Android app? But at the end of the day, like this is a business. It's not, you know, just software. We just want to make sure folks can book their moves. I think we would have started with just a website and we would have seen how it was. We would have seen that, oh, hey, we need to adapt this way uh, because folks uh, might prefer something a little bit different or it might help customers a different way. So, so switching to something a lot less complex would, would definitely help out a lot. 
Um, as well as, you know, I mentioned this before, but just validating what we were actually building before releasing it. Sure. How would you go about that validation now? How would you, how would you do that differently now as opposed to then? When we think about launching an MVP, for us now, that means, you know, we launch very lightly. We use this beautiful app called Retool. It allows us to, you know, connect the database together. Because at the end of the day, a lot of times the ops team really just needs to, to edit a database, right? Uh, we eventually, we'll progress it up a little bit and, and actually have a, a little bit more of a tailored experience. But until this, this MVP has kind of proven its worth, we won't actually go down and say, okay, here's the complete flow. Here's all the notifications that need to happen. Let's make this, this thing resilient as possible. So for us, that validation really means is focusing on, on that design and interview piece. We recently have a, a designer join our team. And one of the things he's working with us on is, is going out to customers, crew members, partners, stores, all the people we interact on a daily basis and created this like partnership with and, and sitting down with them, with myself included and figuring out, okay, what's going well, what's not going well, what do you need? What do you think you need? And let's let's go back in. Let's let's get this feedback and let's come up with an idea and let's propose this idea first. Let's make that minimal version that I that I mentioned. And as soon as we know it starts working, then let's go into it, right? But let's let's make sure we're all on the same page because I've never worked at a moving company before, right? Uh, some some folks on the team have, but you know there, there's just certain context that that we don't have yet. And until you really sit down and and understand someone and their problems, I mean, you you won't be able to launch that that most successful piece. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who has built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to you. Can't wait to show it off to the world. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? First of all, tell me all about it. Yeah, I, de- I definitely walk through what uh, what I learned personally and, and some of the mistakes I made. And you know, for me personally, I, I just love the the good feedback the bad feedback what you learn from others i, I think it's it's very valuable all right and the experiences uh, i've seen folks go through you know at the end of the day what i've kind of really learned is you know find a partner in crime or you're, you're a co-founder if you will right you definitely can't do this all yourself whenever Gordon and i started he did the business side i did the tech side and that worked fantastic and also keep it simple and, and focus on proving out that mvp right because you know you're going to change and you're going to shift and pivot but life will be a lot easier if it's if it's less complex and then you know finally probably give a a socially distant high five and and, uh wish them the best of luck (laughs) that's great advice well cameron thank you for being on the show today thank you for telling the creation story of gozova thanks so much for having me it's been a pleasure and this concludes another chapter of code story Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com. 
for all the great deals happening now. Save 